Hey, welcome back to Therapy Insiders. Thanks for tuning in. Continuing our little mini-series into the future, we are going to touch on the future of physical therapy, of fitness, of healthcare, of so many things with my guest, Kelly Starrett. As you hear in the beginning of this episode, Kelly was on several months ago in April and it was a huge episode and this this is right along there it's about an hour and a half so there's a ton of stuff that we cover and we really focus on what we think will be and how to drive the physical therapy profession forward and and really how to drive the well-being of the community of the community of healthcare the community of our local communities that we try to help and how we do that together and how we can leverage technology and how we can leverage social media and how we can really come together and create a message that resonates with the masses and kelly has done that in big ways and he shares that and he shares some of the things some of his ideas and concepts and then how how really to push that forward so uh, i hope you really enjoyed this episode let us know what you think tweet at us at therapy insiders at updoc media and obviously at mobility wad and now on to therapy insiders with guest dr kelly starrett enjoy Welcome back to Therapy Insiders Podcast. Dr. Gene Shirakabrad here. I am flying solo, no co-hosts, because we needed to wipe the slate. We needed to get out any extra voices. We're going one-on-one again with my man, Kelly Starrett. Now, Kelly was on this podcast in April. I kid you not, I was getting tweets and emails months and months down the line after that episode. First, it was a monster episode. I think it was over an hour and a half I was talking. But two, it started so many conversations, good and bad. If you if you really think conversations can be split up that way, I think conversations are conversations. Some people are just not really good at them, what it amounts to. But it really did get the ball rolling, and, and um, we, we had to really have some deep conversations about how to be positive and how to look forward and how not to pick at each other. But overall, I got so much awesome feedback from that episode. And Kelly has been the number one guest people keep asking me about over and over again to get back on the show. So he's back and we are strictly focused on the future, my man. How does that sound? As always, moving forward, you know, thanks for holding down the space. And, you know, I really respect um, all the voices in this conversation because we've got to have them. You know, I think we're at this really interesting nexus about what we can be and all the things that we're not doing that we can't can do and you know we have the right skill set so you know i appreciate all the people all the passionate people you know logging in and we have internet for days so i'm not chopping vegetables we're not going to cut out let's do let's do that well to be fair most of the people really had no idea how many times we cut out last time that it was like 80 times we lost internet connection and i had to edit out like 50 different cuts but it's okay the things we do for the people 
our people, our people. And it's really, this is, it's, it's such a, it's a good time. I think the, the way to entree this, as you and I know, is it is difficult to be completely in a system that we inherited and be trying to pivot simultaneously. I think that's tough. I think it's a lot easier to be coming fresh or come, you know, without, without sort of managing your, your classic practice and talk about all the things that are available to you. It's, it's easier, but we've got to do it because things are out of control. <laughs> we just, I, we have work, we have so much work ahead of us that it's going to take all of us. And even like Sandy Hilton, you know, she's working on one side, I'm working on another way, we've got you, you know, we've got the, uh, you know, there's so many people working towards the center, and I, we'll all meet there someday. We'll cross the Rubicon, we'll all meet in the center. Yeah, Sa- Sandy's, um, she, she has a great mindset, she's got her and Sarah have a great business in Chicago, really good continuing ed. Um, what, what we all have in common is our desire to help people. Um, I, I think that is by far a huge uniting element that we want to do the best, most efficient, um, honest way of doing that. And I think the people that drive that forward might not be saying the same thing always, but the end goal is the same. Yeah, well, for sure, for sure. And, you know, and, and all lo- we really say, we, around our business, you know, we try to support and be of service to the, to the strength conditioning coaches, to the physios, to the people who are working in whatever field they're in. I mean, whether you're, you know, if you're teaching Pilates or powerlifting or yoga or runner, you know, we remain agnostic about the best way to train. You know, when we work in the NFL, people ask us, you know, should, should my lineman bench twice a week, once a week? And I'm like, I have no idea. I don't, I don't coach lineman in the NFL, but I can tell you better benching. I can tell you how to better, you know, and, and I think that's the idea is that ultimately we can have a conversation about, you know, progressions. These are more efficient ways. This is where I met, but you know, people are, it's, it's sloppy business being a human being and there's a lot of information a lot we have to assimilate very quickly you know how, how are you sleeping how stressed out are you what'd you have for, oh you didn't eat breakfast you know I mean a long time ago I was working with someone who'd had just a meniscus transplant and the guy came in his knee looked like oh, like a garbage dump you know and he's like two weeks out and I'm like dude what is wrong with you like you know what did you eat for breakfast he's like I had a whole box of cereal and like a half gallon of orange juice and I was like, so you're trying to reject this transplant by, you know, being as inflamed and pissed off as you possibly can. And he was like, what are you talking about? You know, and I, I just, it, it's difficult the way we have set up physio to be reimbursed in the system to try to accomplish all the things we're trying to do. That's the, the tenor and the premise. So which means you have to say, okay, this is one way to deliver this physio, one way to deliver physical therapy care. And then there are other ways too. You know, you're, we're going to have to get out of the, that 30-minute session, the 45-minute eval, 30-minute follow-up every 10 days and, and be a little bit more, you know, applying this at the point of contact, which is, you know, maybe in schools, maybe working with local teams. It may be creating wellness classes where we can have more points of contact with people so we can actually get to the business that we're really good at. Yeah, I want to touch on uh, various models, but first I, I want to take a step back. Obviously, the the topic, the goal is to talk about the future, but I want to catch people up uh, to where the present where you are and some of the stuff you have going on. So since we talked in April, you've had a new book drop, Deskbound, which is an excellent book. Um, I did some consulting. I do consulting at NASDAQ, and I brought a bunch of books, and then I followed up a few months later there, and they were asking me if I'm bringing more. I mean, they loved it. It's great stuff. Um, it, it helps. It gives people 
actionable stuff, which I think is is empowering and fantastic. You um, you also have a new book in the works. I hope I'm not giving too much away. And obviously, you have your MWOD stuff going on. What, what are some of the stuff? What are some of the things that you've been going? You have uh, going since April. What are the, some of the stuff you have going into the future, personally and business wise? Because I think a lot of it really drives awareness for the profession and the reach that you have. So I think it's really important to talk about some of the projects you got going on. Uh, well, at risk of boring all the smart people listening, um, you know, we're staying in our core business, which is trying to help. One thing is moving non-skilled care out of the domain of the paywall. So giving people chances to downregulate, desensitize, take a crack at fixing themselves, open up their hips, whatever, whatever, and understand that that is part and parcel of the training program. That you know, yoga by itself is an incomplete practice. Powerlifting by itself is an incomplete practice in so much that those are movement and breath practices potentially. But if I have a tissue restriction you know, or stiffness, those things just may not be enough to overcome the environmental load on top of it. So what we're trying to do is, again, get people to think, hey, all of these movement practices are also diagnostics. And so if you can identify an incomplete position, then we can fix that complete position, you know, address that incomplete position in sort of a, a tidy way that more closely conjoins the kinds of therapies that we would do as physios, we know that work, you know, hip quadrant shouldn't be, you know, magical and mystical. It should be able to, someone should be able to, you know, move their hip through range of motion and be like, ah, I don't have incomplete hip function, you know, and, and magical thinking doesn't get us better hip flexion. So there's a lot of things that I think we can get people addressing at the place of healthcare, which is the the point, I mean, which is on the swim deck, which is on the you know the the middle school volleyball court, which is you know the the, the way the all blacks are moving with their strength conditioning coach before they prep. There's a lot of those things where we can really shift some of these some of these incomplete movements onto the coach, onto the athlete, so they can they can restore that normal function. And I think that's really the conversation we should be having is about improving function, not talking about injury prevention. And and I think we'll capture injury prevention, but you know, just at risk of taking a little sidetrack here, um, you know, uh, uh, someone put up recently, and there was a great conversation about, hey, can we really say that we're in the injury prevention business? And I, I think as typically as physical therapy, the way I was taught and the way it was delivered when I you know was a student or initially practiced, I don't think we can make that case. But if you're a coach and you're teaching and you're putting kids in safer positions and teaching safer, you know, spinal mechanics and yes, 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 yes. I think it's, it's the, it's a continuation of the conversation, just where we deliver it. So, you know, one of the things that we've done on the business, for example, is we've converted our day, we've been doing daily mobility programming and, you know, in that soft tissue health, that sound regulation, that's right. That's all of those, you know, pieces, but we, we actually converted that to a follow along format. And it's interesting because, you know, I think this has implications for how we give people home exercise programs or home therapy programs is that a lot of times, you know, we just circle the, you know, do this, three sets of 10 X, you know, 1 million reps, you know, straight leg raises, whatever we do. But one of the things that we've found is that when we 
give people a follow along. They actually do the work in real time. And you know, this may be one of the things that we're seeing around you know, a better way to get people to have higher adherence. And so on the one hand, we're trying to take physio and the non-skilled care pieces that we would help people address and shift that onto the coaches and shift that onto trainers and shift that onto moms and dads and teammates. On the other hand, we're saying, hey, look, look what we learned from, from strength and conditioning. This may be applied back to physio. And uh, you know, one of the things we did last year is we moved our course, our intro course online um, to try to you know, support people learning at home. Um, we're right now, we just um, or in the finishing of launching our level two course, which is uh, really trying to make what we call MWOD coaches, which is having coaches and trainers well-educated into being sort of the first aid givers around, you know, common, common gym pathology, for lack of a better word. So, for example, if someone comes in after a run and their knee hurts and they report that to the coach, you know, what's the right, you know, conversation to have there? Should I be referring someone immediately to a physical therapist? Should I just let the thing, you know, look the other way and just hope that it gets better spontaneously? Or can we take a crack at fixing or improving the person's mechanics, improving perfusion in that area, and be the person who's running the red flag? So we feel like a lot of the, we need to do a better job of empowering coaches and trainers and the people, the strength and conditioning environment environment to be able to understand what it is they're seeing, be able to take a first crack at assistant helping people to address it, and then be able to say, hey, look, it's been 10 days, you've done this thing, you've improved this tissue, you've improved perfusion, go see a professional person so that we're not, you know, people aren't waiting around long periods of time. Yeah, I like that. I think, um, well, to break it down, first, the, the conversation about injury prevention, I think it was injury prevention versus risk reduction, what it amounted to and um, if I remember correctly it was Mike Eisenhart who um, is doing some really cool forward thinking stuff on population health and, and just overall wellness and it, it started out as a good conversation and then I think he came down a lot to semantics to some extent and it became reductionist um, and redundant but the, the main the main the main point is are we are we marketing falsely if we're talking about injury prevention which we really don't know if we can prevent injuries. Yes, we can reduce injuries. However, if we tell people, hey, go move, go exercise, go be active, are we preventing, reducing their chance of um, cardiac arrest? Are we reducing the chance of of, of, of uh, diabetes, of things like that? So, so to me is we are improving people's lives. Call it injury prevention, call it reducing injury, call it whatever marketing term you want. Be honest with people that you are helping them live better, healthier lives. And to me, it's all gravy after that. Well, I th- and I totally agree. And I think that all sounds reasonable. And the, and the question is, when you make a statement like that, does that hold true for all of these things? Well, it's difficult to say that you know, your, ex- your non-exercise activity improving reduces directly one-to-one if you're a chain smoker and you're a stress case. Right? I mean, you know, we, it's a piece of the puzzle around this. And, and I think a good way of thinking about this, and I may have mentioned this last time, is that there's a great uh, thinker and writer, I think he's Yale, and his name is Charles Perrow, and he wrote a book called Normal Accidents, and and in there, he basically makes the case that in complex technology, the systems are so 
um, complex and, and conjoined that oftentimes what we see as like an outlier experience, and he uses the nuclear industry as an example, but looks like a nuclear accident is really just a normal expression of the system given that we couldn't see what was happening. There were so many variables. And, 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 so it's, and so his point is that we should either, one, completely just change our language and say, well, if we're comfortable with women tearing their ACLs at six to eight times the rate of men, and then that's just a normal expression of the system, and we just, just tell our daughters that, hey, ch chances are if you're going to play soccer, you're going to have an ACL surgery. Just, let's just, we'll just start saving for it now like a college account, right? Or we can really strive to simplify the system and really understand that there are first practices, basics, and, and we have good examples of that. So, you know, that there have been some really excellent programs that have shown massive, massive injury prevention, injury reduction in ACL tears in women. And FIFA has put that all over, and it's, it's a transformative experience. So, you know, there are, but is that, are you getting that in your physical therapy office? You know, who, who is delivering the healthcare? I think this is the, the crux of where we have an opportunity to make massive change and continue to grow our own businesses and support our communities is by you know, being the people who also deliver wellness and strength and conditioning and fitness so that we can put people into better positions and we can see that. But if you don't have a movement practice and you can't understand what it is you're seeing in front, then everything looks scary and dangerous, right? And and, or you don't understand what you're seeing, or we're still in our old model, which is very much reactive, and it's difficult to get out of the weeds on that. Absolutely, and it, it's it's a fear of the unknown. It's getting out of a comfort zone. It's it's trying new things, and and when livelihoods are at stake, when business models are at stake, uh, it, it becomes even more daunting. the The question is, you know. Theoretically, I know I should be doing this. However, I might lose X, Y, and it's a scarcity mindset of thinking, how do I not lose versus how do I win? And there there's really is not a ton of support from within the community as well, because we really don't have a unifying message, a unifying kind of idea of we need to push the business. We need to push a message. We need to push something that is something we all can agree on. And, um, I think without something like that, it, all, it also makes it tough. It makes it tough without, without that community, without that cabal. And, you know, understandably, you know, I, I was just down at the Western university and, and got to talk to, uh, three, all three classes and the staff and just saying, Hey, look, this is a really good time to be in physio. You know, I think sometimes students need to hear that. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's not, it's not doom and gloom. It's a really interesting time, but you just have to see what's possible with your degree. You have to see what's possible with this skill set. And one of the things that, you know, matters to us. And, and we kind of hinted at last time is this physio, you know, movement instruction. And I think it's Chris Powers of the CAPTA who's, you know, I don't think it's a, a, a APTA thing. I think it's a California Physical Therapy Association that really has put being a movement expert at the, at the masthead. And if that is the case and truly is the case, then that means that there's a real opportunity for a self-betterment. And, you know, I'll give you an example. 
how many people, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll couch this by saying, remember, we're all products of a system. And if the system that you came from didn't value it, chances are you didn't know you needed to value it. Doesn't mean that it's good or bad. It just, it's like, oh, I got to learn something else. And I'll give you my own example. You know, when I came out of physio school, I could not run. I, I had knee pain on 400 meter run. And I had, I would KT tape my knee and I would, you know, I was in a motion control shoe and I had a custom orthotic made and knee pain, jogging. Sprinting, totally fine, no problem. Deadlift, jump, clean, and any other skill, but run like, like a human being is supposed to run, I immediately had bad knee pain. And I just picture the scene from Forrest Gump when oh. he's like running and oh, then he ran, all of a sudden, like, he ran like a champ. <laughs> and, I mean, the like, braces are coming off. You're like running in slow motion. It's pretty much. And you know what's interesting is that I had a running coach friend, you know, who came in and he's a high level running coach and he was like, Kelly, have you considered the fact that you run terribly? That you are an unskilled runner? And I was like, what are you talking about? I have been running my whole life. I just have this knee pain when I run, so I don't run. And he taught me to run. And I used, you know, I, I learned to run. I learned to run well. I made it a skill. And he became a supple leopard. And I learned how to teach running. And then he was like, good, it looks like you've got a handle on this. I'm going to sign you up for an ultra marathon. And I was like, great, thanks. What thanks kind a of friend is that? So I ran an ultra, and this was maybe six years ago. I ran an ultra, and I wasn't fast, but I came out unharmed, and I really enjoy running. Like, I run probably twice a week now. But it turns out that in I spent I don't know how many weeks on the El Rancho gait assessment, memorizing the positions for the hip range of motion and normal gait, but I couldn't self-diagnose my heel strike as a problem in the running. And you know, and and I I don't know how many people I saw who had come to see me for knee pain, for running or running related injuries that who I never assessed for their running mechanics. I had them lay down on the table or I had them perform a squat, but I did not ask them to run. And I think that's sort of a a metaphor for the fact that hey, look, if we're going to be movement experts, we should be competent at teaching running or at least being able to diagnose running. You know, because I, boy, I, I was an expert in running shoes, you know, but I was not an expert in identifying, you know, patho mechanics, running mechanics. And, and I think that really, you know, was one of the, the moments where I opened my eyes and said, wow, I'm really going to have to become a lot more competent at understanding what I'm seeing so that I can get to the bottom of the problem instead of, you know, just putting out the flames, which is what I was doing, you know. So do you think it's because we come out of school as, as generalists? So do you think think to, to really improve our skill and be highly effective that we should really double down on residencies and then fellowships to kind of follow the medical model? Well, I think that's a really good question. And I, I think if you're engaged in education of students, that's a really difficult business to be in. How much of what do we teach and when? You know, I mean, honestly, I told all the students there, I'm like, PT school could be five years, five years long, easily. You know, this is, this is, there's a lot to learn, but then we can take this 30,000 foot view and say, well, look, you know, can you teach hip hinging? Can you, do you speak the language? Can you, every, I think that every student should be able to come out and have a basic Pilates certification, a basic yoga certification, a basic strength and conditioning certification, right? And they should go through some basic running training. And already you're going to knock off 99% of the language that people use and speak to relate their problems and injuries to you. 
And you're going to be able to start to connect the dots between these movement practices and, and what we understand from the physiology and the side, that, the science side of this, so that you can reconcile those things. If we're going to be movement experts, then we need to be really adept at speaking the lexicon in, in, the, in the language of the movement traditions, which are serious movement traditions. And, you know, and, and it shouldn't be, you know, you shouldn't have to seek out a Pilates teacher you know, or someone who speaks Pilates because you're a dancer. You, you see a physical therapist who understands lots of different ways to train and lots of different moves and, and understands how those things overlap. And if we're serious about, you know, saying what should we teach? Well, running is a fundamental human skill and all you have to do is reach, read, um, you know, uh, the story of the human body by that researcher out of Harvard and uh, is it Liebenson? And, um, and I'll tell you that, you know, why do you have a heel cord? It's not so you can strike the ground when you heel when you run. And I think that really is one of those fundamental skills. And that really brings us up to this excellent opportunity for us and something that Greg Cook has been hounding us about is saying, what are our movement vital signs? You know? Yeah, I think I think what you um, kind of really allude to is we need a future that requires a fundamental shift of how PT schools deliver information, because um, I know a lot from what I've heard from students and, and the professors that I've talked to is they are kind of they're tasked with teaching things that they might not be comfortable teaching they're just regurgitating information right reciting information is not necessarily a, a knowledge processing skill so if you are a manual therapist and you have to teach the biomechanics of running you're going to essentially recite information versus providing a, a more in-depth nuanced way to teach something so if pt schools and there, there's so many runners that are, are pts there's so many pilates pts there's so many yoga PTs. Um, and even if you can't find somebody in your state, which uh, would be surprising to me, you know, f for God's sakes, reach out to a Christopher Johnson who's killing it with running exercises. You know, reach out to, this, to these PTs who I guarantee you will jump on a Skype call to teach a couple courses or pay them and fly them out to teach several courses. And like you said, yoga, Pilates, and running. And then you, you have these students that are coming out with a much higher base level of competency. It's in, I will say that, again, without pointing the fingers back, I, I don't, you know, if I think critically of my, edu my PT education, there weren't many classes that I would ditch. There were a few, for sure. Because, you know, as a student, you don't know what you don't know. Very true. You know, you, you know but on the other hand, if I'm going to go out and help people with their movement-related problems, and theoretically, you know, if it's not pathological or if it wasn't an accident, it's a movement-related problem, and even in pathology and accidents, I'm still going to have to talk and about you moving through the environment you know at some point I need to become an expert in those things and, and really be able to speak to that beyond three sets of ten reps or don't squat below parallel or just don't put your arms over your head and and you know those are trope you know tropes and but the truth is that you know we're there's a real opportunity for us to take what we already know in the language and just 
pivoted a little bit. And this is something I actually talk to a lot of strength conditioning coaches about. I'm saying, hey, look, I don't want you, as you're trying to understand what it is you're seeing and how you're teaching, I don't want you guys to give up on the language that you speak, which is push-up, pull-up, squat, hinge, lift, lunge. I mean, that is the, the working language. We just need to do a better job of understanding how Norkin and White fits into the normal gait cycle, you know, or being able to squat all the way down. And, and I think that's easy. I think it's easy for us to start to re-pivot how we, you know, what we've learned into these movement traditions and understand that there are, you know, there is consilience between the unification of knowledge amongst all of these practices. And... The, the one big thing, you touched on this already that I completely agree with, and I'm pretty sure since our last podcast in April, you and I have texted probably at least once a week about various things we see on social media, but the one, the one thing you and I agree on almost 100% is opportunity. And I think talking about PT schools and really talking about this, this next generation of, of new grads that are coming through they they are seeing things with with a different lens and they're seeing things with a different perspective and i think that their mindset is is established this growth mindset is almost established from the get-go of really wanting to drive change and i think having that kind of push towards movement towards better is really going to really drive some of the well, I, you, I think you're absolutely right. And I think if we all had been to PT school when the internet was invented, you know, I went to PT school and YouTube wasn't a thing, really, you know. And seeing now the amount of information that the, the student has coming in, the depth of practice. The, I mean, you know, if I could have gone on and seen Gil Headley do all of his anatomy stuff, I mean, that would have massively changed my experience of anatomy, right? Give me such deep context to be able to, you know, understand and sort of have a bigger vision of how the physio potentially can fit in the world. I'm not surprised that what we're seeing is that our students who are very excited about understanding how physio is going to fit into their, their practice and where they actually train and how they can be allies and it's 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 really exciting i think what what's possible here and you know with with full deference to the fact that we had to struggle for a while to be legitimate in the eyes of modern medicine right yeah i think i think that's that's still a, a, that's a prevailing we issue we can hold that duality in our heads you know this isn't we're not arrived here i mean you know chris powers you know who is such a stud made such a great statement he said look if you're following the practice act you're probably not a great physical therapist and that's because we're not we need to incorporate it doesn't mean we throw out the baby with the bathwater, but we need to incorporate you know how we're treating and, and how prevalent these things are let me give you a good example you know what's the name of that uh that tooling you use these metal tools and you have to scrape the body what's that called um torture <laughs> right well 
there is a business that gatekeeped a very old tradition called Gua Sha, right? And, and you had to be a provider and spend thousands of dollars on these tools. And, you know, and what I'll tell you has happened in the last five years, for example, is that if you Google, you know, instrumented scraping, instrument tooling, fascial self, you're going to see 10,000, you know, things on Amazon for you to be able to treat yourself about reperfusing or scraping or desensitizing. And if you can't speak to that already, because maybe, maybe it's not part of your practice, but people are doing it to themselves. And, you know, I hear, you know, elite military units are dry needling themselves. And, you know, I'm like, that is a recipe for, you know, not awesomeness. You know, but what I'll tell you is that people are deeply searching and the world has changed in the last 10 years radically. And what we, you know, should and shouldn't be able to do, I think a lot of that, that balance has changed given that the internet has really redistributed knowledge. And, you know, it's, it's an exciting time, but if you, you know, if you're of the old system and I am of the old system, then you're going to, there's going to be some conversation where you have to figure out a way where we can, you know, do, do you give your number out to let your patients text you? You know, how, 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 where, where is all this? And I think it's all open for negotiation. You know, I, I think the old days of circling some, you know, mimeographed Xeroxed, you know, you know, piece of paper and then handing that to your patient, those days are past. Yeah, and, and, and what it comes down to, it's kind of like that that um, information asymmetry, and, and Daniel Pink talks about this a lot, and especially in his book, uh, To Sell as Human, is like you said, people have so much more access to, to information through Google, through, through internet, through all this stuff. Uh, but, but they don't necessarily have the best way to, um, to weed through what is good, what is not good. Right. I mean, for uh, this election is, is a great example of, of everything, not to get too political, but people were going and making decisions based on Facebook blogs and articles before people would read the newspaper and they would trust journalists because that's the only way to get information. Now people read and they try to connect. We, we are, we are cause and effect creatures. We have a cause. We are going to try to find an effect for it. We want a one-to-one -one connection. We, we, we don't like what ifs. We don't like unknowns. We're going to try to solve puzzles. And if, if physical therapists are with, have still have that old mentality of, of kind of, we need referrals, we need to focus on physicians, we need to be subservient um, versus pushing things out and knowing where the market is, knowing where the people are and knowing how to connect in this century, regardless of what the message is that we create, which we haven't yet, it will never never reach mass audience. And I, I think that that is a big problem that we need to try to figure out. Yeah, it, it is big time. And, you know, the, I think one of the problems is the way we conceptualize evidence. And, you know, we all should be writing more case reports. And we're working on a big research project right now. And we should be, on the other hand, reminding ourselves that we are clinical empiricists, we're, you know, uh, anecdotal empiricists, serial anecdotal empiricists, you see where I'm going with this? An N of one times 10,000. And better same worse, 
how are you feeling now as compared to, right? You know, does this hold true? Does it hold true with that patient? Does it hold true when my other friend does it? Is this, you know, what happens? You know, I, I think that's that's some of this context that we have to be comfortable with. And, and also not forgetting or confusing science with logic. You know, that, you know, if the definition of sedentary lifestyle is falling below an activity that falls below one and a half metabolic equivalents, and that there are a whole host of sequelae associated with sedentary lifestyle that you can't shake a stick at, then why are we having a conversation about sitting versus standing when sitting still and standing still are both sedentary behaviors and that we're smart enough through logic to say that, hey, what we need to do is get you moving more. And now you're moving and now we can have the next conversation. So we've got to do, we've got to reconcile this and continue to support the, again, the places where this is, where this is really being done. And, and, you know, if I watched my daughter's volleyball team three or four years ago and some well-meaning providers came in and did an injury um, assessment or, you know, uh, uh, an ACL likelihood, an injury, lower extremity stability test. And of the 40 girls that took the test, 39 had a huge valgacy moment with a collapsed ankle and were weak and, you know, had this gigantic you know, positional fault that A, doesn't scale up and B, potentially leads them to dysfunction down, down the road, whether you think that's true or not, it's, it's not a good position. One daughter passed that test, my daughter, because we've been working on it as a skill for a long time because yeah, right. Right, I know that this is going to be an issue for her. And, you know, what did anyone do with that information? Nothing. You know, so everyone was like, yeah, my daughter failed. Everyone failed. And then they just played volleyball. And that was the moment where I turned to my wife, Juliet, and said, hey, we're, if we're going to change this, I can just change my local community. So I started knocking on the door. I talked to the head coaches. I started warming up my athletes. I started cooling them down. I started, we started basic movement skills for the last, you know, three months. I've been teaching these girls for about 30 minutes once a week as kind of the primer for the season. And, you know, what you should see is how much their volleyball has improved because we improve the movement vital signs. They jump and land with feet straight. They have a way of sequencing from the top down. They can, you know, sure, we've gotten stronger, but the girls have a language of movement and that we reinforce those positions daily as skills as part of the sport. And now I have, you know, when we get off this call in a few minutes, I'll have 30 girls show up and today we are front squatting and pressing, you know, and, and these are 12 year old girls. And it's, it's, it's just an issue of thinking differently about how we can solve a problem. You know, my, I saw a problem as a physio, speak the language of, of strength conditioning and was able to go in and, and start a program where that's very personal to me because I have two daughters and if I let them to the wolves, then we're going to get more of the same thing, which is, you know, ACL rates under kids under 12 up 400% in terms of injuries. I mean, you know, we just, we, we've got to do a better job of, of getting out of our artifact of scholarship conversations. It's really important to have these conversations, but it's also really important to be doing the things that we know the physiology says. And if you can't see that, if you haven't been trained to be able to see that, there's an amazing opportunity for you to be able to apply your, your thinking again to a different set of problems. And, and here's a good example, you know, Greg Lehman, you know, 
pretty bright guy, um, you know, put out, on, right. yeah, put out on Twitter, you know, hey, if you saw a valgus knee moment in a squat, would you fix it if it was functional? And, you know, my first instinct, of course, is like, what the hell is wrong with you? That is a disaster. And you're just passing the buck on. But then I asked the same question, well, can I fix that in my traditional setting? No. So if it's not painful, then I, and I'm not going to get reimbursed for it, and I don't have time to address it, I, I have to make a note in my note, and I saw this, and next time I may mention it, or I try to make five minutes to have a conversation with my patient, and maybe that's not the right place to solve it. So maybe he, the answer was right. Maybe that's, I'm not going to address it because it's not painful, and they're in here for another problem, but who is going to address it? And maybe how we're handling those things, or who who we're empowering to address those things is the, is the conversation we should be having. Well, I think that's that's the the word. That, that's what I actually want to ask you about. That story that you just told about your daughter and and the girls. They do you feel like you've empowered them aside from giving them skills and making them more competent in the sport? Do you feel like by them knowing, hey? and they see the progress of, of becoming better jumpers, becoming, um, having better endurance and, and having this mindset of, Hey, look, I can see myself getting better. I can feel like I'm jumping higher. My knees don't hurt as much. Are they empowered because of that and therefore become better athletes and become better at movement? Well, the short answer is absolutely. I mean, the girls are like, hey, when are we lifting weights? When can we train two times a week? Can we train three times a week? What's going on? And they all can self-correct and self-diagnose. And, you know, hey, I saw you jump and land with your feet not straight. And, you know, when we started this, I did 10 tempo air squats. 10. We just did over the course. That was the first day. And girls were like, my knees hurt, my quads. And, I mean, they literally exploded from, you know, but these are the same girls who were playing volleyball regularly but couldn't perform 10 good unweighted air squats and that's actually consistent with what I've heard you know I was talking with uh, who used to be the head strength coach for I probably told the story with you before but he was the head strength coach for Michigan before he went to Notre Dame and now he's in the NFL but he a full 90% of his All-Americans in his recruiting class these are all American football players had knee pain doing an air squat and the, the question is well is that kid ready to be loaded or are we just passing the buck on until that kid breaks or they develop a pain syndrome or, you know, so the first day that we see these kids do air squats, you know, they're all talking about pain and ah, and now we do about 40 squats as part of the warm up for the real thing that we're doing, you know, and, and our girls, you know, because sometimes it's not about strength, it's about skill. And I think that's an important, important conversation. You know, when we just say, Hey, look, do a bunch of external rotation movements with your shoulder or clamshells. That's really not putting a lot of skill back into being a human being or reinforcing the, con the con component parts to the thing that the person's going to actually do, which is move through the environment. And you know, that the text I sent you this week was, us, you know, someone put out a conversation about, Hey, is deadlift training appropriate for people with low back pain? And the question is, you know, if you scale back out of that, let's not say deadlift. What are the parts to the deadlift? It's to be able to hinge your hips and lower your center of gravity and pick something up off the floor or sit to the toilet. And should a person never go through their life 
experiencing a position that induces spinal shear in that forward hinge position, yes or no. And certainly, you know, there's a time where we try to keep the torso upright to minimize the non-axial loads on the spine, but you know, we've got to teach that language. And if we and why is it I'm teaching that language for the first time to people with low back pain in their 30s and 40s who've never been taught how to squat to a box or to pick something off the ground? I think if you combine all those elements, if you combine, I had a, I had a really interesting conversation. Um, you know, my, my product, um, Arc, um, sold a bunch. I had a spa buy a ton of them last week in Maryland. So I actually drove them over and saved them shipping costs. And I was sitting down with the spa director and she has a history of low back pain, like most people in the world. And we were talking and she's like, we, we talked for 10 minutes and I answer questions. She's like, in the 10 minutes I just sat with you, I got more education about my low back pain and my back history than all a physio I ever had. And it, it was a typical thing. You know, she bounced around a lot. She was not empowered. She was not educated. She was not loaded. She was not, she was not given exercises like she should have. And it was an incredibly infuriating conversation. And, and I, I was sitting there and um, I, I think I either got your, your text about that the same day or the day later. And I was like, look, if this, if this, if this woman was just educated, how to do some squats, how to do some deadlifts. And we keep saying this over and over and over again to the point that we're becoming redundant and, and almost simplistic that you start seeing this and, and we're becoming these people that are, are, are harping at squats. Like, like, we're we're saying that squats fix everything. We're, we're becoming we're becoming the profession that says for for God's sake just squat and the world is right. And it, it, that's a problem because it's true. But we keep saying it and just for God's sake load the motions once you know how to do it. Well, and you know you bring up I think there's really two interesting pieces here. When you know if you're a, a traditional and I'm just if you're a physio practicing, you know you get it's a blind referral a lot of times. In that first session we have to build trust and and have some empowerment and I would like to touch people and also you know depending on their severity maybe not touch them but give them some skills and show, you know there's a lot to get done in that magic and that's the same by the way the same problem that we have as coaches there's a lot to teach in an hour and the the question first and foremost is you know why is it that that's the first time someone's ever having this conversation with them and you know it's a problem when people show up to you and they're burning they're on fire they're literally like get these flames off that's all I care about and you're like hey we're gonna have to teach you how to get up off the toilet and squat and hip hinge and they're like I don't care I want to stop burning and then as soon as they stop burning we don't see them again so you know that's that's a that's a tricky thing right to say to to tell people or show people and that means we might need to change the system a little bit saying hey look to graduate from physio it's not a back class we need to make you sure that you have these movement vital signs and that's the perfect place to have this conversation again about who should be teaching this should be be waiting until we have a pain problem and could we be initiating a conversation with a physio around a movement vital sign because where should we be having the intervention 
as, as a wellness provider. And that conversation has to start before someone's in pain or is torn a labrum or herniated a disc. Because when that happens, we've got to, you know, put the fire out of the tractor trailer, you know, wait till the smoke clears, back them down the blind alley and then turn the truck around. And it's a lot easier if we said, Hey, look, you know, we try to, these are what the movement traditions say we should be able to do. And you can't do any of them. And what we've been doing is leveraging the genetics of the human being and the tolerance of the tissues. And, and it gets complicated when our profession says things like, it just doesn't matter if you're around your back. You know, it doesn't I mean you should have all this motion and you shouldn't be afraid. And there's no such thing as a reference posture. And well, that's, that's going to be a problem because that means that there's not a, there are moment where I should be able to apply skill. That means that, you know, it's okay if I round my back when I pick up some things for light until it, until the load gets to be how heavy or I'm how fatigued or, you know, my tissues are totally inflamed or, you know, and I, I think one of the things that we do that has been a useful metric for us around helping coaches move on besides my Kung Fu is better than your Kung Fu is say, does this scale, does this thing I'm teaching also protect the person when they're carrying their child down the cliff or lifting a hundred pound bag of groceries, which is a big bag of groceries. I get, but Thanksgiving's coming up. And I love know, Thanksgiving. what we need to be better at is saying, Hey, these things scale. And you know, this is a really solid reference technique. And when you make errors, come back to that, you know, and that in these unloaded positions, it probably doesn't matter so much, but it does matter if every single kid I worked with on the swim team couldn't hold a plank for the length of their for the length of their swim race. You know, I mean that means that I'm gonna to start to see defaults in the spine, I start to see sagginess and butts turn off and you know shoulders impinge and breathing is compromised and you know I, I we have to do a better job of going from cause to effect and effect back to cause and we can do that and all I have to do is look around and see all the amazing physios who are also teaching and coaching and, and leading these movement practices. And that's the real place. It's easy to open up a place to your gym and say, here are the movement vital signs. And here are the things that we think everyone should do. And that actually opens the door to a wellness visit, doesn't it? That we get people coming and saying, hey, you know, how's my overhead position? Let's take a look. Hey, looks like you're a little bit shy. Your T-spine is stiff or, you know, you're, whatever the component is. And are you, are you doing anything to improve that position? Show me what your daily practice looks like. And now we can become curious about improving people's position mechanics and, and restoring baseline positions instead of waiting till it's a bony block and then having some conversation about the Scottish hip, you know, I mean, like we've got to stop that. That's, this is not what it is. This is, there are fundamental things that all human beings should be able to do unless there is some kind of pathology that's blocking it. And even then when I have guys who have, you know, big hinged acromiums and, you know, we're still going to talk about how to be in the safest position possible. When we have bony blocks, we're still going to talk about how to manage all of the range of motion available. And, and that's okay. It's okay. Okay, but you know, there's, it's still a conversation about, for us, about function. You know, does this scale up? And there's a real opportunity to be teaching that and having that, that ally in there around restoring and managing mechanics. But if we can't even, and we don't all agree on what is normal, you know, that's a classic, what is normal? A normal is all the range of motion you should be able to do to be a human being.
And we have really clear guidelines about that, but if we keep saying within functional limits or normal-ish, then we're, we're ignoring all the miraculous compensation that goes around it, and we're stripping out all the skill that goes along with being a human, which is an amazing opportunity for good business and long-term stability and satisfying relationships, and you know, it's, there, it's all there. And, there, and there's room to incorporate research and science and, and follow oh, yeah. basic yet established physics principles, right? Re- regardless of what profession we're in, physics is physics. It doesn't change. Moment arms and, and lever arms and force production, all that stuff doesn't change. And if you, if you establish bad practice habits and, like you said, you scale up with loading the tissue with weight in certain positions, there's just a higher likelihood of tissue failure because of physics and loading. It, it, it is what it is, right? And it's it's educating people on that and telling them, look, sure, you can do your deadlift with a round of back. Sure, you could do your squat. Um, but, and you, but that, you might be... That's right, but those 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 dysfunctional positions aren't going to scale up. Exactly. And, and if you're a limiter, if you're, if you're asking me, Kelly, how do I lift more or go faster or run faster, at some point I'm going to have this conversation with you because, because that position is a dead end. And I'll tell you, there's a good example... Um, Gray Cook put a, did a Google Talk uh, like last month, a month before, and it's on YouTube right now. And there's some great force plate movement capture video on there that everyone should look at. And it's a girl who's been through the ACL rehab process. And watch her squat. And when she squats, the left knee doesn't wobble at all. Line of force goes centrated through the joint. It's beautiful. And then you look at her non-operative hip, and there's the same mechanic where she generates force. Boom, she dumps, knee comes in. And you have to ask, well, that girl already had an ACL tear. What are we waiting around for? Now, who is going to fix that? Because the coach is interested in, did my player get into the right position? You know, did my player make the make the you know get off the blocks cleanly, make the play? Not what is going on with the person's foot when they jump and land or knee. And one of the things, frankly, this is not just all on us, is that we're asking all the coaches and trainers and middle school coaches and parents to become more educated. That they need to be our first line of defense. That they can see it. I just got a call yesterday from a, a mother and her daughter plays on our team or is going to play on our team. She's a new girl on the team and. She's like, hey, my daughter has really flat feet, and she's had you know this tendonitis going on her knee for months and months and months, and I think that those things are somehow related. And I was like, good on you for identifying that <laughs> tendonitis is the acute inflammatory response, and your daughter has a mechanical problem, and we're not going to be able to address this, you know, by resting the knee until we get to the bottom. And when you see a kid, and some of this stuff becomes very simple for us, you know, one know what if you just teach people to squat and say hey here's a neutral foot here's an arched foot here's a foot that and and we rarely rarely run into someone whose feet are so destroyed that they can't create an arch actively right because that's a multiple you know multiple system system there's fascia there's bony structures there's muscles and we can we might not have access to the whole system but we can always put people in slow positions to get them to get an arch and we just say hey look squat down or hinge down or press over your head and don't lose your arch and lo and behold so many other mechanics arise and that's an easy way for getting better mechanics and and here's an example i went down just a couple weeks ago maybe a month ago i was down in southern california working with a youth paddle academy 
And, you know, the kids have a lot of low back pain and a lot of foot pain and cramping and shoulders. And I said, hey, look, how do you know if you're in a good position on the board? And they're like, because we're not in the water. And I was like, right. And that's a coach's eye. But if now I said to the coach, if you see one of your kids paddling and their foot is turned out like a duck or the arch is collapsed, that's the first cue to block them into safe mechanics and more efficient mechanics, mechanics that restore function of the hip and make the, the knee work better and yada, yada, yada. But every kid can look down and see their feet and every coach can see the feet. And now that's one thing that I don't have to wait around to have this conversation one-on-one with. That is an, you know, an ensconced movement standard in the sport. And that, and that comes down to efficiency. I think um, we, we kind of, we lose sight sometimes when we talk about pain is that people can do this, this, and that and, and be in all kinds of positions and not have pain and not cause damage. And that's true. Sure, he can be flat-footed. He can be externally rotated. He could do all kinds of things and, and not cause pain, not cause injury. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. But inefficiency, right? It's, to, to me, I always use a baseball swing as an example. I was like, look, there's a lot of ways to swing a bat. And I used to play baseball in college, but there is very few ways to do it efficiently to be able to hit a 90 plus mile an hour fastball. You need to be able to work in a system, a movement system that you have to be repetitive with. You have to generate power in a certain way. You have to be able to have certain amount of uh, thoracic motion and not compensate with the lumbar spine. You have to be able to load your hips. You have to be able to do a very precise hip hinge that unless you're coached and shown how to do that and re repeat it over and over and over again, you're going to be inefficient. And that inefficiency is a difference between minor leagues and major leagues and all-star and hall of famer. And, you know, God given skill only gets you so far. And it's not, it's not just about pain. It's about efficiency. Well, in the engineering terms, pain is what they call a lagging indicator. It tells me about something after the fact, just like swelling. You know, if we have an athlete comes in, my knees swollen, I'm like, whoa, 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 what did you do yesterday? What did you do the day before? Talk to me about that. They're like, I don't know, I just woke up and it was like that. I'm like, mm-mm, that's not what happened. You know, pain, swelling, numbness, tingling, you know, I mean, check off the boxes of lagging indicators that tell me about the tissue after the fact, right? And, um, you know, you really, this is the point of where do we more tightly conjoin our skill set with, with the actual skill. And, you know, a good example of this is what's happening at the... Um, it's called at Altus, which had about 30 Olympians this year and uh, even a bronze medal winner in the hundred, but they have a, you know, this is used to be the world athletic center. Um, it's headed by coach Dan Pfaff and the head coach is a sprint coach named Stu McMillan and they're, they're Altus on, on Twitter, but they have a trackside therapy program and the experience of the physio Cairo provider is so tightly conjoined with the, the athlete that they have tables by the side. So an athlete reports something, then they can go right away and make a change and then use it again. And that, you know, the, the athlete speaks the language, the, the therapist speaks the language, or if a coach is saying, Hey, I can't get cue this athlete into doing what I need him to do. Suddenly we go down and, you know, they can, Oh, Hey, just a little soft tissue restriction. Go, go do it and get a test, test retest on the spot, but not about pain, no pain or better, same or worse. It's about test retest. And can I do what the physiology expresses us to do? And that's a really universalist approach. That means, you know, 
the only difference in our stride is, you know, ultimately how long my femur is or the tempo or how long, you know, but if you don't have enough shoulder extension and you elbow flares out when you run and you, you know, there are basic positions that we all should be able to have. And this, this track group, which is based out of Exos there in Phoenix has done a wonderful job of moving the therapist and all of the potential of performance therapy right up next to the actual activity. And I know that that's not realistic, but it's, a, it's a model. And even some of our best teams now that we work with some of the professional teams, the therapists have, and the rehab staff, have moved the treatment table into the weight room so they can see something, fix something, mobilize something, and then the athlete can go back and do the thing that they're supposed to do and, and experience that tissue and load that tissue. And, and then the coaches be able to see it. You know, if, if you think it's out of a coach's practice act to have an athlete lay down and have that coach passively accept, you know, move that hip through range of motion and check internal external rotation, you're so far behind. You know, like that's massively far behind. And if you think that teaching one athlete to smash another athlete's quads with their foot, then you need to go to the Olympics and watch the Chinese lifters walk all over each other in aggressive, crazy things. And, and what, I'm, what I'm saying is we have an opportunity because the, the hands that we have, the skills that we have to improve position and to improve mechanics are the same tissue, hands-on, you know, teaching, cueing hands that we use when we're addressing pain. And all we have to do is say, this is not about pain it's about incomplete function and even more so than just hands i think the hands plus our ability to reach and explain a level that a lot of other medical professionals can't is incredibly unique to physio and and chiropractors to some extent but really to physio i think well and you've just nailed it i mean how many people have i talked to or went in thought they're going to medicine but turned out to be nurse practitioners or PAs because they're like, I can spend so much time with the patient, you know, that the, the nurse practitioner who is also the OBGYN, I mean, that person is legit. They get to spend a ton of time. We get to theoretically spend more time with anyone than anyone else in the medical profession. Or really, that's true. And, you know, one of the things I told these kids is, hey, you know, can you talk about sleep hygiene? You know, can you, can you speak to someone's diet? Can you point in the right direction? How are you going to talk about downregulation stress? Because if you don't speak those languages, someone else is going to speak that language for you. So let's touch on some of the models. Um, actually, Amy uh, DePalto asked, um, do you see it becoming more commonplace for physio to be working in most types of gyms. It seems only logical to have physio on the payroll with a growing popularity. I like she doesn't want to be hybrid PT strength coaches. Do you see a transition into less outpatient clinics and more gym based clinics? Well, I don't, let's first and foremost say you don't have to be a gy, uh, physio coach, you know, but you have to understand and be able to work hand in hand instantaneously with the people who are teaching movement. And if you aren't there, or don't understand what people are teaching or understand they may be reinforcing bad mechanics or teaching incomplete things or, you know, then shame on us. You're just, that's, that's like a Ponzi scheme where you wait around for people to have musculoskeletal problems of their own making. And I think it's also important to, to um, clarify that we should not be talking down about strength coaches. They might not be doctors or clinicians, but the guys and gals that are high-level strength coaches know their shit about loading tissue and about progressions and programs and they are incredibly powerful and useful resources and partners in, in all this. Well, if you're talking down, it's because you're threatened because those people are better at your job than you are. 
And you know, they may not be able to talk the high-level pathology, but let me give you an example. We just had Nick Gill in. He's the head strength conditioning coach for the All Blacks. He was in, uh, in the gym last week for three days, and his level of sophistication of understanding nuance and tissue restriction and downregulation, I mean, you know, it helps that he has a PhD in phys, but I'll guarantee you that guy can do more work and solve more problems than, you know, than a physio. Than the average typical, you know, run of the mill physio. And that's not a diss on us. That's a diss on that guy who realized if he was going to be a coach of literally one of the best teams in the world with a single physio to support them, he was going to have to up his game and develop allies. And, you know, you know, how can he, because he's the guy running the diagnostic tools every day, right? Your position and the quality of your position is a moving target. And that's what we need to tell people. It's like your teeth. Like, you don't just get to like, well, I got them clean. I'm good for next month. I'll brush, you know, br brush in February. You know, what we see is there's a real opportunity for us to support those coaches and learn from those coaches and work in that environment. And you can have plenty of work, but if you don't know how to scale someone from low back pain back to sport, then there, you have an incomplete practice and you're always going to be at the whim of someone else being able to deliver what you can't deliver. So I think it's not, we're all going to be there. I think it's an opportunity to extend and what I would say is why isn't there a gym where people can come and you know and it can be a gym for special populations I mean so much of, of the physio that we do in our our clinic is which is a gym is you know help people transition from you know rehab back to return to care and that's a that's a specialty you know and and we actually don't handle acute rehab after surgery because people the next door to us, Chris Chorak at Presidio Sport and Med, which is across the hallway, um, you know, they're really good at that and set up for that. And, and you know, then Chris literally walks the person across the way and says, hey, look, they, they're through their ACAB rehab protocol and, and now they're on to you. Or we work and conjoin with them. Like the physio sees it and then, you know, because they're standing in the same room as the coach, you can be say, here's what I want. You know, we're going to do, you know, high box squats, vertical the shin and the rest of it's on you yeah I, I really still to this point have no idea why more clinicians are not taking advantage of partnering with with gyms partnering with crossfit boxes just getting a table in there and i know more are but but i just i just don't get it because it's it's a low risk high reward get established and it, it's something that can scale whether you're putting in more more tables in more places or you put one in and then you start go to the next market and open your own box clinic hybrid you know just there, there's so many business models that we can leverage and utilize and grow it's the, the opportunity man the opportunity just just talking about this i, I, I literally want to hit stop right now and go open a business <laughs> well what's so great is that you know as a physio you're immediately set up to help people you know let's take sandy uh, hilton you know physical you know physical therapist rock star and pelvic floor genius right do you know how many women pee themselves in the gym 
uh, I would, I'm going to say I would a say, lot. I would say it's a quarter. I mean, it, bladder incontinence is such a problem among athletes, and there's a real opportunity to put on a seminar, to create, you know, a sign up for women. Who, you know, we, and you know, it's fortunately it's something that we obsess about and talk about. And I have a pelvic floor therapist on our staff who's currently deployed to Germany, and we have a a, a pelvic floor health course for men and women coming up on Mobility Watt Institute because there are some low-level pieces that everyone should be able to do. And pelvic floor function is just as important as diaphragm function in, in the athlete. And we have to be able to speak to that. And, you know, there's an immediate business where she can, you know, go in and change the lives of, you know, how many athletes do you have in your gym? What's what's 20%? You know, 50% 50, 50 of the athletes you theoretically have in your gym, you know, are going to listen to that conversation. You know, th there's just a lot of ways to get interested and be allies. So, the, again, to the people who are actually developing and um, the people who are actually delivering healthcare. So let's kind of bring it all back together. I, I think that those are, are great points, and um, I think there's a lot of room for improvement and, and growth with pelvic not floor. Not improving. That's that's that means that the, the other model is broken, not working. Awareness. Yeah. Let's, right. let's say awareness. Totally, totally. Awareness. And and Sandy, uh, like we said, Sandy, Sarah, Tracy, Shern, and in Florida, and Wendell are you know our homies that are are killing it with with um, with models that they've they own. That they are female-owned businesses and they're pushing it on social media and the awareness and driving it which is great how do we scale awareness because th this is a, a gazillion dollar question right now by the way i just put out a tweet about the physical therapy industry it's a 32 billion dollar industry with 34 percent growth expectation by 2024 1.2 percent unemployment how crazy is that like no everybody has a job job for everyone and the median income 84 or 86 thousand dollars which was Four thousand dollars. That's yeah. crazy. It, well, it's it's incredible. So you know, there's got to be two things happening. And one is, I think we're in this really interesting transition about the role of physio and how people perceive physio. And um, you know, because people are seeking to fix themselves and take a crack at fixing themselves and understanding their thing. And we need physios to just be in that space. You know, like look what Tim DeFrancesco has done with the Lakers. He's a physio, but he practices as a coach and has raised the awareness of physical therapy massively. You know, if you go on to urine strength conditioning, Dr. John Russin, um, there are physios out there who are you know doing this work and being high level and 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 taking the unskilled pieces or showing people that they can become more curious and get get physio help um, but the real thing is that this is a local problem and to think that for lack of a better word big government is going to solve this problem and by the way that statement does not give you any insight at all I promise into my political my politics but we should really make a commitment back to communitarianism and serve the local communities. And if you want to be a rock star physio, go down and volunteer at the you know Golden Gate you know Physical Therapy Association, or not Physical Therapy Association, the Golden Gate Triathlon Club. You know, go support your local runners group. If you're a runner, go. You know, do you put up a table at the end of these little fun runs and be like, who's got a problem? We want to talk about. It. I mean, that's the way where you can change this, and that's really how it has to change. It has simultaneously has to happen where we're thinking critically about raising our hands and being like, hey, look. 
there's, we can help you a lot. We just made a Get PT First video, Chris and I, you know, just kind of trying to show the continuum of care. We walked through her clinic and we walked into our clinic, you know, saying, hey, look, you can come at this from both sides. I saw and that. Then, That's a good video. I, I actually met Chris uh, two years ago at PPS and I shamed her into getting on social media and Twitter because she wasn't on Twitter yet. So I, I'm pretty sure she made a Twitter account right there during a, like a loop. <laughs> I love it. Well, you know, as an aside, you know, Chris um, is one of the, there, uh, there are lots of amazing physios in San Francisco, but there was this group of three women who really held the door open for physical therapy in, in the Bay Area, in San Francisco particularly, for a decade, you know, and I'm, and, you know, Chris is a friend of ours, and, you know, I was, like, grinding through prereqs and listening, go to talks and listening to Chris talk about, you know, improving positions for swimming, because swimming is her, is her jam, you know, and, um, you know, and Chris got interested in deadlifting and snatching, she's like, you know, I did this in college, and then I forgot that it was, you know, a big piece of this, and, uh, you know, she trains with us, and, and her staff trains with us, and we have staff that actually goes and treats like normal physios next door, and, but, you know, that, that model of simultaneously taking this higher approach, and we'll keep noodling on it and throwing, you know, throwing logs on that fire, but the thing that you can do is to act in your own community, and whether that's, you know, geriatric wellness, I mean, at San Francisco CrossFit, we have, you know, this weekend coming up, UCSF, University of California, San Francisco, is has a really high-end prosthetics lab, um, and they are, we're hosting a um, symposium of coaches and adaptive athletes and prosthetists and doctors, and they're all coming to the gym, and you know, in the place where we're teaching people actually how to move and get function is not the physical therapy clinic, it's the gym, and if you go to the Center for the Intrepid, you know, in, in San Antonio, where you're going to see the Army addressing all these, you know, um, IED injuries and, and athletes who are now adaptive, these adaptive soldiers with, with these, you know, issues, their training facility looks like a gym. And the real question is, you know, should we be going in that direction and making our clinics look more like gyms instead of more like boutique pain boxes? Yeah, I like that. Pain box. That does that does not sound like fun. Uh, you know, and what I think it does is interesting. It really, you know, it closets. The, there's certainly absolutely time for privacy. Whip the curtain, go into a private room. But one of the things that we feel strongly about is this open clinic model where people, we treat, we have a stack of tables in the corner. Every physio has their own table. Tables come out. And um, our space is convertible. We have, you know, we have all the, we have everything we want there. But what that gives us is it, it disconnects the rehab therapy model from the training experience. And I think that's the issue is that there's a real opportunity for us to take a crack at getting closer to the people. You know, I mean, is there, is there an open table in Pilates? Is, you know, people, people come in and people are doing these things in pain anyway. There just hasn't risen to the level of what we call, you know, an accident, an injury accident. It's what we call an incident. And that incident level problem where things haven't blown up on our faces yet, but people are living with it. I mean, if you do informal conversations, informal surveys, you know, how many of you guys are pain free and no one raises 
raises their hands. And when we have this conversation with, with teenagers, I'm like, how many of you guys are pain free? And you know, one kid raises her hand. You know, they're in that physio room. I like two weeks ago did a four-hour little talk for the Sonoma chapter of the American Physical Therapy Association, CAPTA, and you know, I had 60 awesome, turned-on, badass people. I mean, these are my people, right? And I asked them, how many of you guys are pain free? And one woman raises her hand, and you know, that woman's like 14 years old. You know, the rest of us are so pain is a normal experience that can't be the only or the focus of the conversation. Just like I think the physicians got it wrong when we started perseverating around pain and applying opiates, it can't be the only end all around the conversation we have as physios. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's so much to unload there. Um, To me, first, I think awareness really is, it's it's simple, but it's not easy because it requires consistency. And I think we, we spend a lot of time talking about theories and concepts of how to raise awareness versus doing what you just did, what you just said one regularly going out to the community uh, it's 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 marketing and it's business it's understanding the market analysis it's understanding where the people are and then just going there over and over and over again. And you have to understand awareness campaigns are not necessarily a direct ROI. It doesn't mean you're going to charge people for, for, for giving your time. It's you're going out there to raise awareness for the profession. And the secondary benefit is your business or whatever you do Two. It's start making content and putting it out on your on your freaking timeline and on Facebook. If you're a physical therapist, even if you're not a business owner, make content. If you had an interesting conversation with a patient, record that conversation, you talking on Facebook Live and put it out there and say, hey, look, this is what I did as a physical therapist. Do that every single day, every single physical therapist, and try to tell me that the awareness of physical therapy does not go up after doing that shit every single day for 200,000 people. You nailed it. And and talk about a resource also where people can consume. So I just saw some clever physio made up like a pain resource binder, right? And you probably saw that tweet. And I was like, that's such a good idea. And I was like, oh, I already did that. But I have 2,200 videos. That's my pain binder and now when people come in I can we can easily drop that content and you can hide that content behind a paywall and you can share it with your community and the mistake is thinking that you're giving away the keys to the castle you're not you're giving you're giving away all the land and people are going to need shovels and they're going to need resources and supplies and they're going to come in and and you know just that your basics just talking about the basics that is the level of conversation people need to have it's not sophisticated you know, what are the nuances of mechanotransduction, tendon healing, it's not that. It's, you know, here is a simple way for you to take care of X, or here's something that, you know, here are three things that you should just check yourself. And because, you know, who's already doing it? Every other coach on the planet. If you look at what's happening on the internet right now, you know, the coaches are, are winning the game of getting people into better positions and taking care of themselves. Let me give you a good example. There's a guy named Chris Duffin, who is a really extraordinary powerlifter. He's an engineer powerlifter. And just as a re- for reference, like I just, he just deadlifted a thousand pounds for, for two and a half reps, over two and a half reps. That's it. That's it. But 
he's an expert in people being able to take care of themselves and especially high level athletes and thick power athletes and he's got a bunch of devices that look totally inappropriate for my grandma but totally appropriate for my guy who weighs you know 100 kilos and you know if that guy is the guy who's speaking to the powerlifters, then it doesn't matter you can argue about the conversation but the conversation's already left you by so I completely agree start making some content and then collect your, your highlights and your hits and when people come to see you say hey well, here's your homework I need you to watch this this video on downright regulation or here's my favorite content on improving because I think you're hypohydrated today because I asked you and you didn't drink any water for the last three days you know maybe this is a great place to start to improve your tissue tolerance or sleep or here's a conversation about down regulation and all of a sudden you are become the go-to expert and then people start to share that stuff and that is I guarantee you you're gonna have more work than you can shake a stick at and then even again on the greater extent it's hey you're a physical therapist and you knew that and then people make the connection oh hey wow physical therapists really know about low back pain about sleep about um, pain science about so many things uh, versus us just being the people that that stretch people and give them some exercises <laughs> well right I mean did you do your homework you know if it, you should there should be a global swear jar and every time you you write in within functional limits or within normal limits or you say did you do your homework then literally you put something in the proverbial jar that we'll all go drinking you know and um, the there are plenty of communities to get involved with and more importantly you're not you are part of a global community but you're part of your community and if you start to serve those kids if you start to serve those those masters athletes you know show up at the side of the swimming pool if you're a swimmer you know how much a, a table is on Amazon nothing and make a simple waiver and be like sign this waiver let's talk about your overhead position and your catch oh hey we're doing an internal rotation screen to see if you can actually get your arm to finish the stroke position for the crawl you know can you even do that yes or no you know and uh, what you're going to see is that you're going to have work for days and people start to see like oh you know I talked to my performance therapist I talked to my therapist at the side of the table and then they also take all the rest of their stuff to you and you treat their mom and their kids and and that's what we're trying to do we have an opportunity to to be the premier health gateway that is not lip service and treat everything and help screen everything and be an ally because all my patients have my text and they text me all the time about little nitnoid stuff you know it, it takes two seconds to have those conversations yeah absolutely or set up a a google account a gmail account totally. and blast it on facebook and say hey look i'm doing a free q a about pain about low back pain about neck pain whatever it is say i'm not this is not advice or this is not not uh, medical advice. I'm not treating you, but I will answer questions. Uh, sign up. You know, this is uh, awareness. Uh, I mean, I'll meet, so, you, we'll meet you in the park. So many things. Well, this so is many things. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I here and here's where you know I, I can unequivocally say this is an important piece. Be excited about the thing you're excited about. You know, and if you're not excited about some aspect of physicalness, you're in the wrong stinking profession. I love it. That's, that's that's a good way. That's a good way to finish out. But I want to I want to ask you. Um, let's let's get a little political here. Um, not not U.S. politics, PT politics. So one one other thing that happened since our last conversation is you re-upped your APTA membership, and we got um, I introduced you to Justin Moore, the new CEO of the APTA, who's a really cool guy, has a really good vision that I'm really excited and hopeful that he's leading him and Sharon Dunn. I think that's great leadership that we have at the APTA. Amen. 
they they are doing some cool stuff but but just justin um really said something that stuck with me he's like the the apta's job is to support rock stars not necessarily to be rock stars and i thought that, that was very profound and very true because we we want the apta to lead instead of letting leaders lead and the apta support them so what do you think? And, and actually, Joe Lipsky asked this. Do, do you think being an APTA member is crucial to the future of our profession? And really, why? Like, what can we do to leverage the APTA? It's such a good question. It's, it's one of those things where you say, first, you know, the emperor is far from the field. And it's difficult, it's difficult to see all the advocating for that our PAC, our political organization, does for us, the, the water that they've carried. And, you know, what I, what I can say is, you know, in April when we talked, I was, you know, and, and right after, pretty bummed out with the tenor and the voice of the conversation. It, it felt like it had nothing to do with how my daily practice, the problems I was solving, the places I was going, the conversations I was having. I was like, there was two universes. There's, here's all the professional sports I deal with, and which is every professional sport. Here is every branch of the military, you know, and, you know, here's one physical therapist for 5,000 soldiers. You know, here's all the school problems. Here's this mounting, you know, and what, what you know, we we're getting hammered on had nothing to do with the realities that we were seeing. It just, it didn't work. And the conversations I had really inspired me and the people who, you know, who reached out or, you know, initiated conversations, you know, it, it got me fired up about the potential for physio again, you know, because I literally was at a, as a crossroads of saying, you know, do I even do physical therapy? You know, is, is what, how I perceive how I help people and help coaches and help institutions, is that physical therapy? And, you know, what I, what I felt like during the time, because I came out of a heavy school that was very political and pro-APTA, and I felt very much, especially when we caved or made a political compromise to not have direct access in California, that was crushing to me. You know, we still, we have, you can see, you, we still have direct access. You can see people, you know, 10 times. There's lots of ways to get a referral. But, um, you know, where we are now, it got me really motivated about, you know, showing people what we were doing and continuing to support the people. And, and, and we, you know, we're not, we're not shouting. We're not saying, hey, our way is the only way. But the APTA is going to be a vital vital piece of this going forward and you know in transitions like everything else I really feel like the conversations I've had with Justin what I've seen you know if I follow Justin Moore on Twitter and that guy retweets all kinds of rad physio stuff and I'm not sure that happened before you know and um, and in raising awareness and connections you know I, I'm really grateful for all those people so yes I think the APTA is crucial crucial piece it didn't necessarily feel like it was serving me and that may have been the fact that you know it's it's difficult to you know take the shots and be in the place and you know and try to reconcile the the dissonance between what I was feeling as a profession and what we were really treating and how the problems we were trying to solve and I feel like the new face of the APTA without any disrespect to how we got here because I chose to be a physical therapist with eyes wide open you know maybe that didn't wasn't serving us as well as the organization can serve us now yeah I, 
I'm, I'm so glad you you mentioned all that. I mean, I think one the biggest thing with the APTA and Justin and Sharon, I think it's it's the willingness. They they are much more open and willing to open the doors to, to really let uh, the leaders lead and to push and to support and to create new new things. Um, but I think what what's really, for, for what you just shared, a, a lot of people, I feel, share that sentiment that they were just kind of lost, that they it, it was hard to identify as a physio, as, as a physical therapist. Um, and I, I hear that a lot, and, and, and it hurts when I hear it, especially from new grads and even DPT students, that they just they just feel lost and they don't they don't have that drive and motivation because it just gets gets sucked out of them and it's it it really hurts because they can't they they can't see the opportunity the, everything that we just talked about and i think the apta needs to be there to to be that beacon to be that uh, light i think us uh, certain leaders in the profession and um on social media need to to shine that beacon of positivity not not false false positivity not blowing smoke up their asses not not um you know not telling them falsehoods but really showing them what they can't see yet because they're in the weeds because their their idea their thought of what physical therapy should be was not matching up and they were not given the support. And, um, and if it happens to you, right, who, who is very established and successful and a rock star among rock stars, can, I mean, to imagine students and new grads going through it, a lot of them won't get through that. And we might lose some potential rock stars. The, the, the fights that physio has in the big profession, legitimacy, I, I can't, I wouldn't even know where or how to begin to help solve the problem of physios working in the insurance industry, taking workers' comp. I mean, going up, I mean, that's just such a complex problem. And, you know, what I think the modern physio has a chance to do, and guys like, you know, Greg Cook, I'll put that the FMS language is of elevating the community and solving the problems we can solve. And, you know, maybe it was short side of my part to see that the APA didn't didn't support that or it was just so nascent and so it's an emergent phenomenon that they just didn't have the bandwidth or the consciousness to know that they needed to also wrap their hands around this other aspect and you know to the to the extent that you know we all need to be the agents of change and we are the next generation of leaders I mean, there's so many times where we have this conversation I'm like you know what the real problem is we got to wait for all these old guys to die you know what I mean? and, and we have to be patient or age out and I'll, let me give you an example you know I work a lot in the military and they have a lot of problems around musculoskeletal issues and you know I seven years ago eight years ago I would work with these young lieutenants second lieutenants and now they're all captains and the young you know captains around majors and lieutenant colonels and the world has changed because those guys are in positions of leadership but guess what if you have a beef with the APTA because you don't feel like it's representing you it's now and you have some experience in practice time to raise your hand and, and take that over and say hey you got to work for us and here's how I can work for you right and I think I think that's the piece is that you know maybe I was too young or too naive to understand sort of my role because I felt like I was you know my wife and I were killing ourselves to support this other community without without reaching back and saying hey look you know here's another way because anyone who came to us we were all 
always talking and supporting. And, you know, I've been lecturing at my own PT school for years now and we've been supporting physios for years. But, you know, the next level is to try to support this, this high policy change. Well, you know, think locally or think globally, act locally. We've got to be better at being rock stars of our communities. And no one can do it better than we can. No one has the potential to do it better than we can. Zero. Zero. I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish it with that. I mean, that's 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 it. That's as good as it gets. Um, so I, I felt like we've been talking for 15 minutes, but it's actually been an hour and a half. No, I'm sorry, everyone. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, I don't think they'll be sorry. I think it was a, it was a great conversation. I think we touched on a lot of things, um, points um, that are, are important, and I think a lot of them are the future of of where we need to go and things that we need to do. And, and and you and I have never met in person, which is amazing because I'm like, like I'm, I'm like literally Juliet's like, can we text me, Gene? She's like, oh, say hi to Gene. Like you're a person, our family. You know, even my daughters know who Gene is. And uh, you and I are meeting on Wednesday. We're gonna have a drink. We are. We're gonna be on the right coast. You, well, you're gonna be on the right coast. I live on the right coast, and um, I, I can't wait, man. I'm super excited. Yeah, I'm really. Um, you know, our little organization called Stand Up Kids, and this is another example of you just. You're going out and making it up and just decide what the world's going to be. But our little organization, Stand Up Kids, which is moving, trying to get kids out of sedentary desks into fidget desks, moving desks. You know, we have about 35,000 kids now at our program around the country, mostly in, in poor schools. And we were selected by Michelle Obama's Let's Move initiative as one of their curated nonprofits. And That's so uh, we're, cool. we're going out to the gala. We're going to meet the Flotus. Congrats, man. That's huge. Did you hear they're, um, they're pushing her to run for president in four years? You know, I, I'm not going to say that I, you know, I hadn't heard that. But, um, you know, what's cool is um, you guys, and I don't people think people know this, but um, the president has his own personal physical therapist who is a badass. And, and this is how it happened. This is the last story to end on because I think the world is changing. Uh, president Obama plays a lot of basketball. And there was a rash of middle-aged white guy Achilles problems all of a sudden in the White House. And a, a physio was there and, and someone, he was, he was from the Pentagon and was treating someone and the president walked over and said, hey, I really appreciate your work. You're helping our guys, da, 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 and, and uh, where do you work? And he's like, oh, I work at the Pentagon, sir. And he's like, no, you don't. He's like, excuse me? He's like, you work at the White House now. So <laughs> he travels with the president and That's the president awesome. has a physical therapist. And if the president of the United States has a physical therapist, you need a physical therapist. Of course, you gotta, you gotta step up your game. It, it's funny that you said about the world changing, like that you, your comment about Juliet, like there's so many people that I met through Twitter in, in our world that I eventually would meet on at conferences or, or speaking gigs or something like that. And um, when, when you said, when you were texting me and you told Juliet who it was, the, the other day you texted me and I was sitting on, on um, in our living room and I had, you said something and I had a smirk on my mouth. She's, and Jamie, my wife's like, why, why are you smirking? I was like, oh, Kelly texted something. She's like, oh yeah, that's cool. You know, like it, it's, just, it's just such a different world we're living. In and even though we're meeting for the first time this week. Well, you know, like every other physio, when I meet other physios at conferences, at gyms, we actually hug it out. Like that's like, I'm like, people like, we have a lot of, you know, traveling coaches who come to our gym, traveling physios, and they're like, hey, I'm a physio, and like, we literally hug it out. I'm like, I know you, you know me, like, we, we are the family, and it is a family of physios. There's, it's a cool profession. Gene, thank you so much. I have 30 girls jump roping out in front. I've got to go, uh, got to coach some front squats. That's a good way to transition out. Out, man. Thanks, Thanks for your time. time. It was a great, great chat. chat. See you Wednesday.
right. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Like I said, a lot of material, a lot of stuff that we covered. So what do you think? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Can we can we take some of those elements and really drive a future and create a picture that is better, that is a better healthcare, that is a better uh, physical therapy industry, that's a better fitness industry, and combine the two? Really, really curious. Uh, let us know. Again, tweet at us at Therapy Insiders for me at UpDoc Media at Mobility Wad for Kelly. Tag both of us. Let us know what you thought. Let us know. Share your thoughts. Share. Your, maybe you've been doing some of this stuff. Share your stories, your experiences. Let's just let's start getting it out there. Let's start pushing together and forward and see what comes out of it. And only good can come from actionable experiences looking forward to it thanks for tuning in catch you next week when we get into a little bit more technology and the future